Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, October 11th, time for the next episode of the Jersey Joe Show. We have a new producer, my new producer, Susan. Susan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jersey Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's autumn here in New Jersey. We got some spectacular colors and uh, we got quite a bit to talk about today. Don't know if I'll be able to squeeze it all in. I'll try to get it in in 30, 35 minutes. Um, for those who haven't heard the show before, it's called The Situation with Jersey Joe. And it's news and perspective uh, that you won't hear on TV. Um, and what I mean by perspective, you know, there was a great example the other day. Uh, there was a vote that came up to extend the universal free lunch program. Now, we've always had um, free lunch for underprivileged kids, you know, whose parents are you know, living at within 150% of the poverty level. But during COVID, they said, well, let's let all the kids, because some parents might be out of work and unemployed, and so they had a vote to renew the universal free lunch programs. And the Republicans said, you know, no, um, you know, that's nice. But, you know, the, you know, the kids of uh, parents who've got two BMWs in the garage don't need to be, you know, being fed on the taxpayer's dime. And if states want to feed every kid in their uh, schools, regardless of the parent's economic situation, that's great. But the, the federal government is broke and that's not something um, you know, the federal government can afford. We need to be cutting costs, not not adding to that cost. So, you know, the, the media said, no, Republicans voted against free lunch for kids. No, they only voted against free lunch for kids of wealthy parents. So that's a perspective you won't hear on TV. Um, we're going to have the quote of the day, and it's going to be a mystery quote. I'm going to, I'm going to normally tell you who the quote is going to from. Today, I'm going to read the quote and then ask you to guess which one of our famous presidents said the quote. Um, our question of the day is going to be, can, uh, can our president count? We're going to talk about 400 mobile phone apps that are designed to steal your Facebook login information and why your Apple iPhone 14 might mistakenly call 911 to tell them you've been in a car crash. We'll also talk about New Zealand's plan to tax cow burps and how politicians in every country, including the U.S., use similar strategies to tax you without realizing that you're the one being taxed. We'll also talk about a fire that's been burning in one town in Pennsylvania for 60 years that the fire department has given up on trying to put out. We'll talk about what New York City Mayor Eric Adams refers to as an immigrant crisis and who is and isn't an asylum seeker um, and about illegal Im immigrants killing US citizens. Uh, if we have time, which we may not, we'll talk about what is qualified immunity as it relates to police officers and why so many police departments are having a hard time filling vacancies. Uh, we're going to have a taxpayer relief shot and also a quote from uh, Polk County Sheriff Grady Judge about looters in Florida and uh, what he's encouraging homeowners to do down there. Uh, sound like a full, think we can fill 30 minutes with that, Sue? Jersey Joe, that sounds like a solid hour of material. I don't know how you're going to fit that all in in 30 minutes. All right. Well, we'll just move right along. So here's the quote of the day. And it's from a, a famous U.S. president. And it's about cutting taxes. And here's the quote. Only full employment can balance the budget. And tax reduction can pave the way to that employment. The purpose of cutting taxes now is not to encourage budget deficits, but to achieve the more prosperous expanding economy, which can bring a budget surplus. Now, who do you think that was? Ronald Reagan, George Bush, Donald Trump? You have any idea who said that? I'm not sure that I know. 
Well, most people would assume that would be one of those Republican uh, presidents who said, you know, we need to cut taxes. That was that quote was from President John F. Kennedy in 1962. And as we all know, Kennedy was a Democrat and a, and a liberal darling. But even Kennedy understood that cutting taxes uh, stimulates the economy. A little side note here. When Reagan cut the top tax rate from 75 percent to 35 percent in two steps, tax revenues soared that they almost doubled and he took 16 million formerly unemployed net tax receivers and converted them into employed net tax payers. So when Reagan cut taxes by almost half, um, it had this tremendous stimulating effect and pulled the country out of a recession. Um, so again, cutting taxes is not something that the Republicans invented. It, it's a proven thing that works. Kennedy was for it. Um, and, uh, and again, Trump was for it. Bush was for it. So again, quote, cutting taxes is not something that is strictly limited to uh, to Republican presidents. So um, uh, the question of the day is, can our president count? Do you have a quote? Do you have a, a YouTube clip ready to go there? I do. Well, uh, the words made in America. Play made that again. Wow, he's bad at math. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Want me to replay that over again? Please, yeah, replay that again. Listen carefully. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. Wow. <laughs> I don't know about you, Sue, but when I went to school, made in America was three words. Is that the, how many words did you count? I counted three. <laughs> and you notice he repeated it. Two words, made in America. Anyway, so can our president count? Maybe he needs to watch Sesame Street. Was, was it a count, count? What was the name of the count there? The little Muppet toy? on Count to Dracula. Okay. But do you have another quote there, by the way, where he talks about, he's reading from a teleprompter. And when you read from a teleprompter, which I've done many times giving speeches in front of large groups, they have the text and then they have brackets around it, something that's an instruction. They might tell you to pause, take a breath. Um, and here's Biden reading from his teleprompter. And what he does is after he reads the text, he reads the instructions out loud. So play that one if you would, Sue. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so, end of quote. Repeat the line. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who registered to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat right. the line. So end of quote, read the line was an instruction, not something that he was supposed to read to the public. Um, and I'll just let that go without comment or Sue, unless you have any thoughts about the guy reading the instructions as part of the speech. Well, at least we know he knows how to read. At least he knows how to read. He may not be able to count, but he knows how to read. All right, moving right along for our technology minute. A report came out um, earlier this week that uh, there are 400 mobile phone apps that are designed to steal your Facebook and login information. Now, I believe 360 were Android apps and about 40 were iPhone apps. But I've actually seen these where you go to sign on to an, it'll say, 
create an account or log in with your Facebook information. And I found one the other day and I on purpose checked log in with your Facebook information. And I just entered a nonsense Facebook, you know, email and a nonsense password. And it absolutely let me right in. So um, when you see one of these apps that says create an account or log in with your Facebook, all they're trying to do is steal your Facebook login information. So if you don't want to have your Facebook account hijacked, um, check your phone. Don't ever log in with Facebook to any of these apps because that's exactly how they get your login information. And I've had several friends have had their Facebook accounts hacked. So you know anybody's had their account hacked? I believe you've had your Facebook account hacked once back well, in the I, day. I think it was five or six years ago, but you know, that's one way to do it. And by the way, all these quizzes and tests, like, you know, name your first name of your first pet or your favorite food. These are just ways to kind of get your security words. Like when you have an account and you want to like change your password and they say, they'll ask you the security question, like what's your favorite pizza topping? Don't ever reply to those accounts, those online quizzes. All they're designed to do is to get answers to your security questions. Now, as long as we're talking technology, uh, iPhone 14 has a built-in feature that if you experience a, a certain very high G-force, it automatically dials 911 and reports the location that you've possibly been involved in an accident. Well, guess what's setting off that, that um, emergency notification in, in uh, on iPhone 14s? You want to guess who? Is it driving in the car? No, it's on a roller coaster. If you want to... Oh. So if you're on one of these roller coasters at the very bottom where you, know, you go to get pressed down in your seat, you know, with 3G, when you bottom out at the bottom of the curve. Yeah, it's, right. It's triggering some of the iPhone 14s to make an emergency 911 call using your location information, telling the 911 operator that you've just been involved in a crash. So if you're going to go on a big, scary roller coaster, uh, leave your, don't take your iPhone on or turn your iPhone off. All right. Um, let's have you heard about New Zealand's uh, plan to tax cow burps? I have heard this in the news. <laughs> Talk about ridiculous. Like it's going to it's going to uh, somehow prevent climate change. Here you have uh, countries like China and India building from brand new coal fired power plants at the rate of two to three a week. And New Zealand thinks that taxing cow burps uh, is going to somehow uh, save the climate, save the planet. Uh, and they know it won't, by the way, but um, this is a nasty tactic that governments all over, politicians all over the country use. When they want more tax revenue, um, they know if they try to tax you directly, they probably won't get reelected, that their opponents will use that against them. You know, so-and-so raised your taxes. So the sneaky tactic is what they do is they raise taxes on suppliers like oil companies and farmers. So in this case, if they if they have put a, a head tax on each cow based on the, the methane, you know, let's let's say they come up, it's going to be three hundred dollars per cow per year. What do you think the farmer's going to do with that three? And let's say the farmer has five hundred cows, so three hundred times five hundred is uh, what. $150,000 a year. You think the farmer's going to absorb that $150,000 a year? They're probably going to pass that on to the consumer. Exactly. It's going to show up in the course in, in the cost of a gallon of milk, a, you know, a pound of butter, uh, a pound of cheese, 
uh, and if their beef cattle is going to show up in the price of hamburger and steak. So the politicians, when they do things like this, they know it's not going to make any difference, but it's a way for them to generate tax revenues without pax, without passing a new consumer tax. Um, so you're going to see it when every time you go to the grocery store and make no mistake about it, you it is a tax that you're paying for, except it doesn't show up as a tax. It's not a sales tax. It's not an income tax. It's just, well, you're just going to shake your head. So oh, look what's happened to the price of milk or look what's happened to the price of hamburger. But what it is, is that the politicians have um, basically indirectly taxed you. I'll give you another example. In the Build Back Better program, which Biden said is not going to tax anybody making less than $400,000 a year. Well, one of these taxes or surcharges he's put in there is a tax on refineries that refine crude oil into diesel fuel, gasoline, and jet fuel. And it's a surcharge on every barrel of crude oil they refine into those various fuels. Now, do you think that the refineries are just going to absorb that per barrel surcharge, Sue? They're going to be passing that on to the consumer once again. Right. And so you're going to go to the gas station and you're going to you're going to see, you know, another six, seven cents a gallon on the price of gas. And you're not going to realize that you are paying part of the build back better tax that was imposed as a surcharge on refineries that they simply passed on to the consumer. You know, at the end of the day, I'd be happy if we didn't have any corporate income taxes, because at the end of the day, corporations just view taxes as a cost of doing business and they pass them on to the consumer. But you know, those two examples, the taxing cow burps and uh, surcharges on refineries are just another way for the government to extract taxes from their, its citizens without directly you know, calling it a tax. Anyway, um, you want to dwell on that anymore, George, or you want to move on to the fire that's been burning for 60 years? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the fire that's been burning for 60 years. And before I tell people about the fire, I understand, uh, Sue, have you ever been to that place? I have been to that place many times. All right. Well, there's a, uh, Susan lives in Pennsylvania and uh, there's a town in Pennsylvania called Centralia. Used to be a coal mining town. And a lot of people think coal is just, you know, black rocks, you know, in the dirt. You just, you know, dig up the dirt and sift out the black rocks. That's not what a coal seam is. Coal exists as a solid black river. In fact, up in Wyoming, what they do is they scrape away about 80 feet of topsoil and they explode, they expose this solid black river. It's maybe a hundred yards wide, maybe a hundred feet deep. And it's literally just a solid mile long river of coal. It is not broken, it's not pieces, it's not bits. It is just one solid piece. And they drill holes in it with one of these boring, you know, 10 foot deep boring drills. And they put explosive powder down in these series of holes that are spaced about five feet apart and they explode them all at once and they fracture that big river of coal into little into big chunks but coal underground exists as what they call a seam it's a ribbon if you will and when i say a ribbon picture a ribbon that's a hundred yard wide by a hundred feet thick um and back in 1962 one of those seams under the town of centralia caught fire and they tried unsuccessfully to put it out for many, many years. And because the coal in Pennsylvania is very close to the surface, I think it's only 50, 50 feet, 60 feet down, um, they started getting you know, the smoke and coming up and steam coming up through the ground because the groundwater is also very shallow. 
And uh, the noxious fumes from that underground fire and the steam made the town all but inhabitable. So are any people still living in the town of Centralia? Last I heard, there was a there was just a handful of, of holdouts. I want to say less than 10 families were left there that are refusing to leave. Right. I believe the government has put a, a whatever you want to call it, that they're not allowed to pass this property on to their relatives. So when they are gone, they're gone. Yep. So here's a, an entire town that, if not quite a ghost town, is going to be a ghost town one day. And there's this underground fire that will probably burn for several hundred years because again, it's a very slow burning fire. There's not a lot of oxygen underground. So it just, there is methane down there, by the way. And when you're, when you have coal, you have methane, but for 60 years, 1962 to 1922, that underground fire has been burning, just slowly chewing its way through one of those massive hundred yard wide coal seams. So uh, that's your kind of environmental and science minute for the day. So how are we doing on time? Let's see. You're at about 18 minutes. All right. Let's talk about um, uh, Mayor Eric Adams and um, what he's referring to as an immigrant crisis and who asylum seekers are and um, about immigrants killing U.S. citizens. Now, in Texas... Well, between Texas, Arizona, and California so far this year, they've been getting 200,000 uh, illegal immigrants crossing the border every month, 200,000 a month. And That's about a half lot. of those 100,000 a month are crossing into Texas. And by the way, that 2.6 million, 2 million have been apprehended. The other 600,000 are, are, are what they are referred to as gotaways, you know, the uh, Border Patrol will tell you they estimate 600,000 crossed and evaded capture. Now, I get it. So here's Eric Adams, in a, mayor of New York City, a city of 7 million people. He has 17,000 immigrants arriving by bus, and he calls it a crisis. The last time I looked, 17,000 is 0.0025% of 7 million people. Meanwhile, you have towns like Del Rio, Texas, um, El Paso, Texas, that, that, you know, that, that have a population of maybe 200,000 are dealing with 30,000 immigrants a month. And, and he, he was having, uh, he's apoplectic over 17,000. Well, uh, you know, welcome to what life in Texas is like. Um, now, what gets me is on the, I'm in New Jersey, so I get to, to, uh, watch them on the TV, whenever they do a story about these immigrants arriving by bus, they refer to them without fail as asylum seekers. Um, now, Sue, do you know what the, the, the legal definition of an asylum seeker is? I, I think that it's, you're leaving a dangerous uh, situation for your life. Well, it has, it's more, it's actually more specific. It can't just be general generic danger, you know, um, Political Let me or the, religious, is it specifically? It has to be uh, you know, uh, targeted persecution. Now, here's the definition of asylum seeker. The United Nations 1951 Convention and the 1967 Protocol defines a refugee as a person who is unable or unwilling to return to his or her home country and cannot obtain protection in that country due to past persecution or a well-founded fear 
of being persecuted in the future, and here's the key words, on account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or of a political opinion. Congress incorporated that definition into the U.S. immigration law in the Refugee Act of 1980. So it just can't be, this place is violent and I'm afraid. You have to be specifically targeted. You just can't say, my country's too violent, I'm afraid for my life, I want to leave. That does not qualify you as an asylum seeker. But let's say that you are, you do fall into one of those groups and you do want to seek asylum. Uh, you think the procedure to seek asylum in the United States is to sneak across the Rio Grande River in the middle of the night and, and hope you get captured? You think that's the way it's set up? Probably not. All right. You want to guess how many uh, official U.S. Uh, uh, border Patrol offices there are on the U.S.-Mexico border? Uh, I'm going to guess there's probably several dozen. There's actually 50. And the procedure, if you wish to seek asylum in the United States, you present yourself to any one of those 50 official, they're called ports of entry. You present yourself to one of those ports of entry, you, your family, and you declare, I am here to seek asylum in the United States. And they say, okay, uh, let's take you to the room. And they give you some paperwork to fill out. They give you a translator. And then after that, they will take you and they will put you up. They will provide you accommodations while your case is being, while you're uh, waiting for your case to be heard by an immigration judge. You do not seek asylum by sneaking across the border. And then if you get caught, say, oh, 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 I'm, I'm here. I'm seeking asylum. You know, you don't commit the, you don't commit a crime because entering the, the United States illegally is a crime. That is not how you seek asylum. So it kind of irks me that the media refers to every single one of those 2.6 million illegal immigrants as asylum seekers. And I have to doubt that there are 2.6 million people who are being individually persecuted or living in fear of persecution, not just fear of, particularly the illegal alien who was a wanted criminal in Mexico, who I think stabbed seven people and killed two on the Las Vegas Strip this uh, earlier this week. Did you hear about that one, Sue? Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah, he walked up, you know, in front of some of the casinos, they have like these uh, street performers, they have some showgirls, they have people dressed as Batman, they have people dressed as Superman. And he walked up to a showgirl and he had a big knife in his hand. And he said, well, I'm a chef. Can I get a picture? And, and the girl said, no, uh, they, they were a little afraid of him. And then he turned around and just started randomly stabbing people. Um, I think he stabbed seven, killed two. Uh, he was a wanted criminal in Mexico, snuck into the United States illegally. Uh, and certainly he doesn't fit the definition of asylum seeker. But according to the press, every, everybody like him is an asylum seeker. We have no illegal immigrants in this country anymore. All right, how are we doing on time, Sue? Uh, we are at about 24 minutes. All right, I'm gonna do a quick one then on qualified immunity. Have you ever heard the term? I've heard the term, not quite sure what it is. Well, uh, it applies to police and a lot of people mistakenly believe that it protects the police from being prosecuted if they commit a crime, a crime and that is not what it is. All qualified immunity says is that unless a police officer has committed a crime, you cannot sue him personally for any uh, anything he does as part of his official act. So if he stops you in a traffic stop and tells you to get out of the car and you know and he bends you over and puts the handcuffs on you and, and whatever, you get a scratch, you get a bloody nose, whatever, you cannot sue him personally 
um, for anything that he did that was part of his official duty. Now, if he committed a crime, if he punched you for no reason, if you're on the ground and he kicked you in the ribs, yes, he's committed a crime. He's committed the crime of assault. He can be prosecuted. Qualified immunity does not protect him from, from criminal prosecution. And if, in fact, kicking you in the ribs, uh, if, if he's convicted of assault for kicking you in the ribs, and by the way, you can actually sue him. You can actually file a complaint. Let's say he handcuffs you, throws you on the ground. You're on the ground handcuffed, and he kicks you in the ribs and fractures your ribs. Even if the district attorney didn't bring suit, you can file an assault complaint. You can charge him with assault. And if he's convicted of assault, you can then sue him personally for damages. But in the absence of a criminal act by the cops, qualified immunity says, hey, if the cop did nothing criminal, you cannot sue him personally. You can't go after his assets, his car, his house, his bank account. Now, in some communities, um, activists want to get rid of, they want cops to be sued personally. And in those jurisdictions where the voters have said, yeah, we're going to do away, it's actually cities and towns, where they've done that, guess what the police are doing? I'm going to think they'd be leaving. Absolutely. They're leaving in droves. They're saying, screw this. I'm not going to risk my house, my car, my bank account, my retirement, just because some wacko wants to sue me because they didn't like how I handcuffed them. Um, so those communities that have abolished qualified immunity um, have seen a, a tremendous exodus of their police officers. And they're having a lot of trouble getting people to, to backfill because uh, applicants come in and they say, what do you mean I, there's no qualified immunity? So if it ever comes up on a ballot measure in a town you live in, or, or, you know, uh, and it says, you know, should we abolish qualified immunity? Unless you want to have fewer police officers in your town than you do now, I would say do not vote to abolish qualified immunity. Again, um, people will incorrectly tell you it keeps cops from being prosecuted criminally. It does not. And if they are prosecuted criminally and convicted, you can still sue them personally, but only if they've committed a criminal act. All right, which brings us to our traditional show ending taxpayer relief shot. Now, normally I just start with a quote from the sheriff of Santa Rosa County, California, uh, Santa Rosa County, Florida. But this week with the uh, Hurricane Ian in Florida, um, we had another relevant uh, comment from Sheriff Grady Judge um, in Polk County. And he was interviewed on Fox News about the looting going on in Florida. Um, and here's what he, Sheriff Judd, had to say about looters in Polk County. And this is a quote. People have a right to be safe in their homes. They have a right for their property to be safe, even when part of their home may be torn away. And these looters, uh, and these looters that's unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable, Judge said. Um, I would highly suggest that if a looter breaks into your home, comes into your home while you're there to steal stuff, that you take your gun and you shoot him. You shoot him so that he looks like grated cheese. <laughs> that was Grady Judge. Um, and why do I call these things taxpayer relief shots? Because when a homeowner legally uses deadly force to protect himself, his family, or e even just a, a stranger on the street from death or bodily injury at the, at the hands of a thug. Um, when you do that uh, and you, you kill the thug, 
you save the taxpayers the cost of a jury trial, which almost always involves a court a court appointed um, uh, defense attorney. To keep somebody in prison is sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year, and if it gets out, then you got probation. Maybe you got appeals. And I, I think the uh, sheriff of Santa Rosa County, uh, Florida, said it best in terms of how he views. Uh, uh, when homeowners use legal deadly force. And here's the quote from the sheriff of Santa Rosa County, Florida. Somebody's breaking in your house. You're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save the taxpayers money. And again, I'm going to play that just one more time. I love that quote. Somebody's breaking in your house. You're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save the taxpayers money. All right, and with that, I'm going to move on to our um, one from Madison, Wisconsin today. And here we go. Tonight at five, Madison police say a man shot and killed a masked intruder on the city's north side. This happened early this morning on an apartment on Packers Avenue. Officials say the 911 caller reported someone trying to break in and shots were fired. Upon arrival, police say the male suspect was pronounced dead on the scene. Detectives believe the intruder was shot by one of the homeowners. Very um, uh, harrowing, I think, uh, situation here in the city of Madison to have something like this happen, uh, to have a homeowner have to, um, to defend themselves or have a homeowner have to fire a weapon. Madison police had already stepped up patrols following a home break-in in the same area. Chief Sean Barnes says that increased presence will continue in the area this weekend. And while the investigation is ongoing, if the homeowners did shoot the intruder in self-defense, that is legal in Wisconsin. NBC 15 investigates Elizabeth Wattis joining us now to explain why. Maria, police say there were three people home at the time, a man, a woman, and a young child. And if police are right, the self-defense, they are protected from facing any charges because of what's called the Wisconsin Castle Doctrine. It is, quote, intended to provide a homeowner a privilege to use lethal force in defending against an unlawful and forcible entry into the homeowner's dwelling without considering whether the homeowner had an opportunity to get away before you Using force. So it's up to the district attorney to decide if charges will be filed. But at this point, again, Chief Barnes says the evidence does not suggest any should be. In the studio, Elizabeth Wattis, NBC 15 Investigates. All right. And by the hang on, let me close that off. Um, and by the way, there are 47 states in the United States have castle doctrines that are similar. There are three, including New Jersey, that don't. New Jersey has what's known as a duty to retreat. If somebody breaks into my house, uh, before I can use lethal deadly force, I have to attempt to evade, go lock myself in the bathroom, call 911, and only if the guy comes breaking down my bathroom door am I legally allowed to use the deadly force uh, to defend myself. So, But in 47 states in the United States, you can use legal deadly force if you encounter somebody in your living room at two o'clock in the morning. Sue, how much time we got? Uh, you have about three or four minutes. All right. Well, then we should probably get wrapped up before we run out of time here. Uh, so I want to thank all of you who listened uh, to this podcast for giving up about 35 minutes out of your busy day to listen to me ramble on about things I find of interest and importance. And I hope you found those topics as interesting and important as I did. And if so, I hope you continue to listen to this podcast in the weeks and months to come. And if you want to see some of the materials and story links you heard me talk about today, you can find them on the 
a Jersey Joe website at jerseyjoe.com with Jersey being spelled with a Z. If you want to email me with a comment, question, or suggested show topic, you can do that by sending me an email to just joe at jerseyjoe.com. And that's, again, with Jersey with a Z, double E. Um, and uh, my producer, Susan, is going to get this podcast. Uh, she's going to get, uh, the, she gets the podcast up about a day after I do them. So hopefully uh, sometime uh, this week, this podcast will be up. And look for the next one, hopefully next Wednesday or Thursday. Sue, anything you want to add? Nope. Just enjoy this, the last remaining days of uh, warm weather while you can if you're on the Northeast. I, I, I will. Turn. It, it's, it's great weather and the temperature's in the 60s. It's among my favorite times of year. Yep. All right, Sue, talk to you next week. You too. Thank you. You're welcome. Be good. Bye-bye.